I don't even like the word holistic necessarily. I know what it means and I think you know what it means, but most people are like, I'm a holistic fertility specialist. And they're just mm -hmm. like, and they're still using, they're pumping people full of hormones. They're still just looking at lab work and imaging before they even get to meet the patient. There's some holistic something there. Like if you're teaching people fertility awareness, I suppose that's holistic. It's certainly natural. But when we talk about holist holism, we're talking about body, spirit, soul. And frankly, I think our world at large, but specifically the medical community, is completely devoid of spirituality. And that's actually the biggest problem, for sure. In today's busy world, how can we find the inspiration, knowledge, and energy to live a healthy and empowered life? If we balance and harmonize our mind, exercise our body, live according to the laws of nature, and connect to spirit, can we find a way to heal, become our authentic self, and live our purpose with love? I am your hostess, Amy Fournier, and welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to my show. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. My guest today is Dr. Nathan Riley. I love this conversation we had. I can't wait to share it with you. It's so, so important. He is just a, a genius on so many levels. And wow, really, really, really making the difference in the world. I'm just so impressed and can't wait to learn more from Nathan. He is a holistic OBGYN, a truly holistic one. And in this episode, we talk about being a woman, motherhood, menopause, and mojo, baby. Yes, he really has an amazing understanding of the, the true holistic nature of a, of a woman, of a person for that matter, and has incredible results with his clients and his work. Nathan is an OBGYN and he's a hospice doctor. So he does one end of the life spectrum to the other. Incredible right there. That alone right there is incredible. And his website, we can find out all the stuff about him as well as hire him to work with you personally or consult. And he has this really cool thing he started doing. He calls it the collaborative program where if you are in the health industry or even a doctor or midwife or whatever, and you want him to consult as an expert on maybe a patient case or just help direct you, you can contact him and hire him to help you. It's so beautiful. So his website is called BelovedHolistics.com. That will be in the show notes. He also has an amazing podcast, which I love because we are very much aligned in a lot of topics we talk about. And yes, my show is called Awakening Aphrodite, but you probably see if you just subscribe or scroll down through all my episodes, we, we're holistic. We talk about so many different things because life is holistic, isn't it? There's so much to learn. We are so dynamic and complex. And Nathan and I share that in our podcast. Uh, we basically cover lots of different topics. And so I subscribe. His podcast is simple, The Holistic OBGYN. It's fantastic. And he's also the father of two beautiful little girls. The second one was born at home. So he's an expert on home birth. And he's also a husband to a lovely wife, which I hope to meet one day. And uh, they have a beautiful love story where they actually met when they were 15, but they 
split up and then they got back together again and now they have an amazing family and a beautiful practice life together. It's just a beautiful, encouraging story. So what we talk about in this episode is what exactly is holistic health care, holistic woman's health care, and OBGYN health in particular. And I also asked Nathan of how his practice might be unique. So if you're really like, okay, I want to find a doctor like this, is Nathan a typical guy? I can tell you right now, he's not. <laughs> but at least it'll give you some parameters of how to find one of your own and where to find them. You could even ask Nathan, hey, do you know anyone in my area? We also talk about the importance of connecting with your soul as a woman, with your doctor, and the importance of therapists and doctors to not just treat the woman physically, but connect to her her, her feelings, her emotion, her whole being, and how so many women, are so sadly, but they are actually traumatized by not only the pregnancy process, but also the birth and delivery process. Not just physically traumatized by, you know, the complete intrusion into their body and the way they're treated just like a number, but also emotionally what can happen in birth. And Nathan even shares how that trauma can influence future births and future uh, uh, situations with bringing a child into the world. Super fascinating. And how it's so important for women to feel like they have a sense of control. Not Because when you're pregnant, not that I know, I've never been pregnant, but you feel like you're totally lost the control of your body, right? I mean, I know, because I, I know women who are pregnant or been pregnant. So there's a profound sense of lack of control. And there's unfortunately a profound, a profound sense of being unsafe when they're in delivering and going through labor and being unseen. These three things are pervasive in conventional uh, medicine, unfortunately. So Nathan talks about the importance of addressing those three issues. We also get a little bit into home birth. Like I said, Nathan is an expert on this. Remember, this is how we got here as a species, right? We weren't born in, you know, a white lab coat environment with, you know, four square walls and all that crazy stuff. So this is where we came from. And we also talk about what you need to know about the pill. Okay, let's just get this straight, okay? <laughs> is it benign? When is it not a good idea? When might it be a good idea? And what's going on? Is it really changing your chemistry? Nathan gives it to us straight so you can make an informed decision. You know I'm all about informed decision. We can't make intelligent, wise decisions if we don't have the right information, the accurate information. So we get into that and we talk about the very, very important relationship between stress and sex hormones. Okay. There we go into the mojo, like being stressed out and high cortisol levels and busy, 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 and super hurried all the time and feeling overwhelmed or anxious or back to our lack of control, feeling unsafe, unresolved trauma. All these things leave us chronically overstressed. And Nathan talks to us about how that affects our sexual hormones, which will influence your experience of PMS, your experience, obviously, of labor and delivery, and also your experience of menopause. So how you live now determines how you will be living later. 
So the sooner you wake up and get your lifestyle and your mindset in line, the sooner you're going to feel better and help ensure the rest of your life, years, decades from now, is going to be okay. Because we know without a doubt that these things, what we're doing now, is affecting the future. You know, for example, cancer doesn't just all of a sudden happen one day. It takes years for that to happen, okay? So we talk about menopause, the end of cycle, and Nathan really educates us on how it's really about having different priorities physically in the body rather than making a new life, a new baby. When we're in our wise woman ears, it's the time for our body to help raise the children, to pass on the wisdom of generations and uh, why some women have more trouble uh, in menopause than others, why some have more bad symptoms than others and the night sweats and the hot flashes and, you know, the huge weight gain and just the bad skin and hair loss and all this crazy stuff. So Nathan's bringing the good news. He's bringing the expertise. This is such an important show. Please share it with any woman you know and uh, anyone for that matter who just might need to hear it because this is here for you. That's what makes me work so hard and I really appreciate your sharing it. And if you feel called to leave a quick review, I would be forever indebted because that's really what keeps me going as a podcaster. It'd be like your way of paying me. Thank you. And uh, so, hey, without further ado, Dr. Nathan Riley, the holistic OBGYN. And welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. Today, my guest is Dr. Nathan Riley. Nathan, welcome to the show. I feel so grounded after your opening ritual. Thank you for having you me. Do? It's a really, really nice way to start my day. It truly is. Oh, thanks. That's really great. You know, um, I for the people watching and listening, I do. Uh, I've been doing this since I started the podcast. A little little opening ritual connection centeredness call it a little prayer whatever you want to call it where i just take a moment to really connect to my soul and myself and great spirit and hopefully the guest the audience people watching and viewing and just kind of give us a little centering and to be honest i started doing it to calm myself down nathan when i was really a novice podcaster because i'd always be kind of really nervous you know uh. and uh but I incorporate a little bit of my biogeometry training, as you saw in the shape that I did, mm -hmm. and uh, and the sound I made, and um, and I've had several guests comment that they really liked it, and I was thinking, you know, I wonder if I should include that in the recording in the video, uh, you know, just for people might be interested to see what we do. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, e yes, yes to everything. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I, I do the same on my show and because, you know, we're generally dealing with very busy people and even my clients, it's like, it's a checklist item. You're going to meet with, with a doctor and you're going to, you know, it's, it's the whole thing. You know, you, you get your coffee, you get, you get situated. And like, when do we breathe? Like, when do we actually take that first big deep breath and fill up all those alveoli? And, uh, so even that practice alone is like, whew, I'm like, yes. my, now my pelvis is, is rotated you know, downward. I'm not sitting in this like stiff, hyperextended position anymore. It's, it is good. It's, it's a good practice. So that's beautiful. And I also found too, even psychologically, it helps for me to get centered in my intention for the show that we're going to offer the world, you know, just to kind of, and remind myself to get myself out of the way. I, I always try to be just a vehicle for great spirit to come through because yeah. God knows I'd screwed up. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I always tell people I've never fixed anybody's problems. I've given them the tools and some guidance in order for them to reharmonize with their environment, but that's not something that's offered by the medical system, right? They're here to fix your problem. I'm not here to fix your problem. I've learned my ego has been blown to dust thinking I can solve people's issues, but what we can do, people like me, like me and you, and other health coaches and doctors and everything else is to give people the tools to reharmonize with their surroundings. You know, even in the most stressful day, there's no reason you can't just take a moment, ground yourself, check in inside and, you know, all the way out into the cosmos, check in with who you are and what you're doing here. And that in and of itself is a therapeutic practice. So I think it's, I think it's spot on what you're doing. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. And I know that you've shared one of your little personal mindset techniques is to even just say to yourself that this can wait that type of little saying do you want to sh expand on that a little bit because i thought that was really powerful and simple yeah i, I think that you know it, it kind of goes without saying that we're all way too busy um myself included it's just somebody the other day she's a former crossfit athlete and um like a big big time athlete and she was like how do you get all that stuff done and i'm like honestly I probably am trying to get too much done, you know, and I've got two little girls at home. We have a, a daughter who just turned two and then we had a second baby who's just turning four months. And man, if, if I was pushing it as hard as I used to push it, you know, through all of the 20 years of training and all that stuff we put ourselves through in, in whatever your industry is, if you were pushing it and redlining it your whole life, you're going to miss out on those, those things that actually make this important. And a, a big question I have for every client is, who are you and what are you doing here? Like, where is your attention best spent? It's not a matter of finding time in the day. Your currency is not time. Your currency is presence. Right. And that goes for fixing what's going on with our own health. It goes with fixing the, the tribulations that we're going through in our planet from, eco, you know, ecological issues to, you know, whatever this whole pandemic thing is, there's a lot of hate and division and everybody's trying to throw more and more stuff, find more and more time to do more things, to read more, to get more information. And I always remind people like, what are you doing here? Like, what is your purpose here? And when you ask, when people really think about that, for me, my purpose is I wanna be able to hold this baby and be present with her as she's screaming in my face. Like that is fatherhood. And that's not something anybody's going to reward you for. It's also not on my to-do list. It's not something that's easily done. It's not something you just knock out of the, you know, I got to get my workout in or whatever. And uh, and when we check in with, when we check in and we remember, oh, this can wait, then life actually has more meaning. It doesn't matter how much money we have or success we have or followers we have on Facebook or Instagram. It's about it's about doing the things that we're here to do. And when you have kids, your your thing is to be a dad or a mom for that matter. And, uh, and, um, no amount of money or success is going to replace that. So that's my mindset activity every single day as a reminder, like, can this wait? And the answer is almost always yes. That's brilliant. And, you know, the simple things are so brilliant and, and it, you're talking about just really, really, truly being present. And it's so funny, Nathan, because right now I'm circling back in my own study with the work of Eckhart Tolle and the power of now and the new earth. And of course, he really pioneered a lot of the whole idea of being present yeah. and exactly like the type of example you just gave of when your little infant is screaming in your hands as a busy doctor and a really accomplished guy, you know, your purpose at that moment is to just be present with your screaming child. Yeah. That's it. And 
I think that's brilliant. That's just so brilliant because nobody thinks like that. We always think of the things that are little annoyances or things like that. Or, and I mention this sometimes on my show, like the doing the laundry, the cutting the vegetables, like all the mundane, that finding joy in life, I've found as I've gotten older and wiser, really is about learning how to cultivate the the, the joy in those simple things of just being there, cutting the vegetables, because this is what I'm doing right now, and just breathing into it and allowing it. And it's called making the, the mundane sacred. Yeah. And, and it's a powerful practice that because so often people are looking for the big events, right? Like you said, okay, checklist, I worked out, I did this, I did that, I did the other, or yeah, we're gonna go skydiving or we're gonna go to this epic party and we're looking for these big events for joy and pleasure and fun. But wouldn't the wise person be one who can find that and cultivate that in the everyday life? Just really letting that joy in the simple pleasures? Yeah. You know, I, what, what came to mind was there's this cookbook. I, I brought this up, I think, in other places in my life, but there's a cookbook by a guy named Roy Choi, Roy Choi who's a uh, Korean food truck chef. And he's like a multiple award-winning chef, but his big thing is he made, he makes gourmet food on food trucks in LA. I mean, that's really kind of how he got his fame. And in his cookbook, he describes pre preparation of rice. And he's like, Here's the list of ingredients. Here's all the stuff you're gonna do. Here's what the final products are. Here's the oven temperature, blah, 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 for his short ribs or whatever it is. But let's talk about the rice. The rice, the magic in the final product is in how do you take care of the rice? And he describes in like one or two paragraphs, letting the rice sit for a while and then going in and just massaging each kernel. Make sure you touch every single kernel. Being with the rice. Being with the rice, right? Love it everybody's like, yeah, the rice, just rinse it and then put it in the rice cooker. And you're, you know, you're running around and you got your kids crying, you're doing all those things. And those are all important things. But if you want the food to taste good, you have to start with how do you care for even just the grains of rice? And, um, you know, this, this, uh, this notion is not something that I think is very rewarded in our society. I mean, you're in, you're in South beach, Miami. It's a go, go, go very, very fast place, fast place, you know, culture within, within South beach. I'm in Kentucky, things are a little bit slower, but I did all my training out in LA and San Diego where, you know, if you wanna to go to the beach, seven miles away from Los Feliz, you're gonna be in the car for like an hour and a half and everybody's rushing to get everywhere. And this is all sort of preaching to the choir, but the reality is that even we within the healthcare professions, you know, we don't even value the time we get to sit with our patients. And what I would say is like the, the rice analogy, that that is really like when I put my hand on a patient, just be with your patient, be present with the person that you're here to care for. It's not a matter of what the insurance company wants you to do. It's not a matter of what your, you know, the, the, the culture of your other, you know, colleagues wants you to do. It's not a matter of what's on the clock, like what need, what your patient needs from you is to be present with them, to not have the answer, but to actually be there and be present with them so that you can develop that relationship. And that's not something that's rewarded. It's not incentivized in any aspect of our culture, especially within the medical system. So, so when a, when a person meets with me for the first first time, we do a little breathing. We do a little like let's get grounded, and it might be 15 minutes into the consultation. I can tell on their face it's like we, we got to get we got to get going. There's labs we got to review and all this other stuff, but we wouldn't even be able to get to that point if we didn't focus on the connection. And I think that as the new world is emerging, our biggest currency is connection, and we can't do that unless we're present.
with one another. And it's a, and it's a constantly, it's, I'm a constant work in progress. My wife would say, you're never present. And I'm like, I'm working on it. It's, it's right. me too. Me too. Every, I had a million examples come in my head of how I don't do that either. Like yesterday driving to just get home. I just wanted to get home. And I was like, get out of my way. You know, <laughs> like, you know, and it's like always, you know, on to the next thing. Like the stress is when you, when you are anticipating what's next rather than really being present in where you are, right. you know, right. in that, in that moment, you know, so don't worry, we all do it. Right. But, but <laughs> I think you're, I think you're right on the money that the, the, I love what you just said. The currency of the future is our ability to be present, connected with each other. Yeah. 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 It doesn't matter how much money, crypto houses right. yeah. you own. If you can't, if you don't have people who trust you and you only develop trust through through real connection, through real compassionate, empathic presence and connection. Um, that's mm -hmm. that's where we're at now. And feeling the other person. It's not an intellectual thing per se. It's more of a feeling uh, relationship of sharing that, a feeling that you're emitting in and uh, receiving. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's funny because, uh, well, you're... Uh, just to back up, you're obviously a holistic OBGYN, and you mentioned about how common uh, in medical uh, establishments, like people or the doctor or the hospital or wherever it may be, you know, they're under the um, the rule of insurance companies. They're probably what's it a seven minute time allotment they have per patient or whatever. And how, to your point of how in the world can they really be present, really listening to the patient when? you're under a time pressure and you're coming in with preconceived oh you've got this symptom that symptom the other oh it's got to be this because you're they're already programmed right. to make associations right. because they're already biased as to what they're expecting and what something means rather than just being really present in that moment of what they're hearing to just relax and open up to maybe where it might lead as to the root of something yeah, I mean, it, we've done a lot of research on this and most physicians, especially OBGYNs, which are, you know, they're doing all the maternity care, they're doing all pelvic health for women, they're also doing a lot of primary care now. They're considered a primary care specialty despite having a very serious specialty in the pelvis and, you know, the, the host of issues that, that women bring to their doctors, that is your OBGYN specialty and now they're also doing diabetes and hypertension and obesity management. and. When you, when you have to cram all of that into an hour, what ultimately ends up happening is, you know, most patients are given like a number of minutes total of speaking time because we have to get all the things done. We have to check all the boxes. And then if you also add on the documentation time and the clicking and everything else, you're looking at a computer screen while you're trying to help this person, but you're not even able to connect because you're looking at this computer screen. So so the, the issue I uh, that I think and the reason I stepped out of the system altogether is that I want to really help people. And I can't do that if I don't have the time to really understand their story. Where do they come from? Where are they going? And why are they here? And, um, and like I said, that is therapy in and of itself, because most people are not getting an hour plus with their doctor to really, really iron out all of their needs. Or even anybody, they might not have that real connection, discussion, conversation with any other human. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. or even at that deep level, I mean, if they spend an hour with someone, they might be like, yeah, so I'm, did you see that show on Netflix? And yeah. oh, my, my coffee's cold and, you know, but when was the last time even to people listening or watching that someone asked you, why are you here? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, some people don't even think about that, right? And to uh, that point, Nathan, you probably get the answers, I would think, of people just saying, like, how they identify, like, well, I'm a mom, or, well, I'm a, you know, lawyer. They probably don't really, or you tell me, what do you, what are some of the answers you usually get or some of the issues with that kind of question? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take my mom for, for example, and, uh, and this, this is not like private information, but I had asked her recently, um, mom, you know, cause she, she was a nurse. She then went into hospital administration and she took that path and never probably made enough money based on how hard she was working, which was like 80 hour weeks. It was like residency training, but she was doing that day in and day out for like 30 years. And, wow. um, you know, she was an ICU nurse and then was in, you know, the office space for, for so many years. And I asked her, cause she always talked about it being not as fulfilling and I wish I would have been a doctor or whatever else. And so I asked her one, one day when we were home recently, we're, we're from Pittsburgh, my wife and I, um, I said, mom, what, if you could go back in time and do everything all over again, what would you have done? Like, what was, what is the thing now looking back that would have, would have really captured who you are? You know, from a day and day in and day out standpoint, because we all work, like we all have jobs, but is that job the thing that's really fulfilling you? And she didn't have an answer. Like, so more, she was like, I don't know, I guess I would have, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I always wanted to be a nurse. And like, she just, it's almost like she didn't even understand the creative process mm -hmm. of just dreaming with me. Like, mm -hmm. would you have sold seashells by the seashore, mom? Would you have been a professional surfer? Would you have, been an astronaut i mean like who who knows it doesn't really matter it's not an actual practical question but the exercise in your inability to complete that exercise is actually at the heart of your health issues and i'm not saying that that's my mom's issue but but that's the type of response that i get which is like you've been on red you've been redlining it trying to pay the bills all these years what if you didn't have to do that thing you did for 30 years and when you ask somebody who's 30 and they have the opportunity to, to change their career path, sometimes that is all that they needed. They didn't realize that their adrenals were skunked due to the day in and day out stress of doing a job that wasn't in line with their path. And when we talk about our, our friend, Paul Check and his work, the four doctors, doctor happiness is the one that most people neglect. Like you could be putting in the best foods, moving, you know, doing whatever, great workouts every day. They're joining your yoga classes there. They're, they're doing all of the things that they think they're supposed to do, but they're doing this rotten job that doesn't serve them and actually depletes them energetically, depletes them nine to five, Monday through Friday. Well, once we fix that, we can really get to the heart of the issue because your issue is you're unhappy with the way that your life is going. And if I ask you and, you're, and I'm like, who are you and what are you doing here? And you don't have an answer. Before we get into surgeries and medications and supplements and, and fancy water filters, we need to figure that out. We need to figure out what archetype do you want to embody and what archetype are you currently embodying? And once we can answer that, then we can start really fine tuning. And it's amazing how just that conversation alone can lead to so many breakthroughs for people. See, this is so brilliant. And this is why I have been in the field of holistic health although I'm not a medical doctor like you, that's for sure. But, and why I love the, the, your really pioneering work in the field of holistic OBGYN services is because these things are, if you don't include these kind of issues, then you're, you're 
often missing a lot of times the, the, the reason why people have certain ailments, like an addiction to coffee or because you're just trying to get through work or, or even, right. you know, there's some research showing that certain pathologies and diseases are, you know, the body's way of showing disorder in the brain or, you know, that it's the body's way of trying to get your attention, so to speak, you know, yeah. that, you know, you need to change your life. Like it's not working for you. So it's the body's way of communicating with the soul of like, hello, wake up, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and even people, you know, in parts of the country who have millions and millions and millions of dollars to spend on whatever their heart desires, like that's the, actually the group of people that need this conversation the most. You know, they've been driven into a path in medicine, which by the way, most doctors are not very rich. Let me just get that off my chest. But, you know, you're going to be earning six figures, almost certainly if you're a physician who's practicing. But like if you even take a 15,000 foot view and consider the people in big tech in Silicon Valley in the banking system, whatever, like I'm not friends with many of those people, but when they come to me and they're these high power CEOs or executives of some sort, oftentimes they have no answer. They have not even thought about that question. So it's not a matter of being resource rich or resource poor. This is like, we're talking about the energetics of the internal resources. Spiritually it, rich spiritually rich and again if your currency is connection you you don't have to put barriers barricades up around your mega complex you could have your doors open all day and your community has no need to want to take your resources because they're so deeply connected to you that it's almost like your resources mm -hmm. are theirs we're in real community now um and and that's that would take our conversation probably in a different direction about the world at large but my point being that um it's it's not uncommon that those people that have all of the money in the world are not necessarily living longer, better lives. Their health span is not reflecting the resource rich environment that they've been saturated in. So there's some deep depressive qualities about the American dream. And we're all so habituated to think in that way that if we're not doing something, we're not producing more, that we're not growing our business and doubling our returns this year compared to 2021, that somehow we're failures and that in and of itself is a is a spiritual pathology that we're that we're that we're critically missing within our within our healthcare system yeah i mean it comes down to how you really define success right i mean you have cultural definition and but a lot of these things that are driving us are really an attempt for the soul to find its connection with itself yeah. right you know so it's kind of interesting how you know we're we're trying to pursue all these external things and we all do it right and but ultimately it's about feeling that that real at-homeness with you so then you really can connect with somebody else because yeah. you know really how good can you right when you don't even really know who you are <laughs> who's connecting with who i don't even know who i am really you know yeah yeah that's right yeah and, and so, in a world that we only <clears throat> we only value the measurable things, the objective things, right? Mm -hmm. We collect cultures of the vagina. We collect blood work to look at your electrolytes and hemoglobin. We will do surgery in order to clip vessels and remove tissue and repair it all up. It's, it's as if only those objectifiable metrics matter. And that's where like the holistic OBGYN practice is not like when people say they're holistic OBGYNs, I don't know if they really are thoughtful about what does the word holistic mean? We're not just talking about using herbs or throwing some other prescriptive supplement at your problem. We need to be talking about body, spirit, soul, as Rudolf Steiner would, would, would put it. 
and that is your emotional health. You know, the mind-body connection is not holistic enough. It's not whole because you're missing the astral. You're missing the spiritual element of who we are. And again, who are we and what are we doing here? And generally, there's a little flicker of what that is, but you've been ignoring it your whole life. And, um, and once you get people to kind of open up to that, like, wow, this is what holistic medicine really looks like. We're not just looking at your blood work, infection rates, vital signs, whatever else. We're also looking at those immeasurable things that are very subjective and that only you, Amy, are able to relate to me. And you're only going to feel comfortable relating if I've been present with you and we've had a real connection. And I trust you as my doctor, which is what you're saying. You lay that foundation of trust by connecting first. Right. Yeah. Right. So you know, critical. Flash of humility in that as well, knowing that, like I said, I don't think I can fix anybody, but I can give you some tools in order to help guide you to reharmonizing with your environment. Well, I think even your gift of listening to someone is medicine. I mean, that can heal someone's soul. It was another human being listening, giving them that safe container to to even sometimes as we something spoken is much more tangible. So right. sometimes we hear ourselves speaking, you're like, wow, I didn't even know I felt that way. But you're giving them the opportunity to to find out what's in there. And again, just like we said, by even asking the question is going to be a step toward getting to the root of the problem. So w could you possibly give an example, maybe without, of course, naming any names, of maybe one of your clients throughout the years who had a so-called typical, maybe, you know, major PMS or, you know, really bad postmenopausal symptoms and all that. And then you, but by being a holistic doctor and you addressing some of her mental or emotional issues rather than just her physical, that maybe it really turned her around. Like maybe just an example for the audience to really understand what we're talking about and the nuts and bolts of it. Well, believe it or not, that's a softball question for me because I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up, I'm, I'm a, uh, being confronted with this on a daily basis. Okay. Classic example is, um, so a woman recently came to me because she had a history of two births in the hospital, the second of which resulted in a C-section. And she came to me and said, I am not going to have a hospital birth again. No way. No freaking way am I going to the hospital. I will have a home birth. Um, I am ride or die, home birth train. You can't convince me otherwise. And I was like, wow, that was a lot right off the bat. So the first thing that I asked her was, tell me about your other births. Yeah, what happened in the hospital? Right. Mm -hmm. Most people are like, well, hey, listen, home birth, it's unsafe, blah, 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 blah. It's, first off, it's not unsafe. We just had a home birth at our house using breath work, and we had two hours of labor. The baby came out asleep, out of the portal, back on my wife's chest, and we were both laying in our bed two hours after labor started. So home birth is not unsafe. If home birth is unsafe, then babies born at home would be dying left and right, and that doesn't happen. And so, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> As a species. Here, yeah. Like yeah. Some white mm -hmm. guy like me to be in the hospital with all these crazy instruments to make sure the babies are born healthy in a healthy way. But I digress. So start asking her about this. And, um, you know, instead of responding with, uh, well, there are risks to home birth. Let's talk about the risks and benefits. That's a part of the conversation. That comes like miles later. First and foremost, tell me about your births. And as soon as I gave her the opportunity to start speaking about her births, it was waterworks. Mm. And that's not necessarily because she had something happen to her in the hospital where she felt violated against. There's this term obstetric violence where somebody 
will go to them, put their hand in their vagina without ever getting consent. Maybe their partner is holding their legs back while they're saying, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. And, and that is a separate conversation in and of itself. And that ends up leading to significant trauma beyond the normal trauma of, of the experience of giving birth. But in this person's case, it wasn't even like that. She just felt like people weren't listening to her. People weren't witnessing her, her, her pain of like carrying this baby for nine months and now you're gonna cut it out of me. I mean, oof. I, nobody has asked her, had asked her about what was that like for you? And when she started being able to talk about that, that was therapy in and of itself. And immediately there was trust. And I didn't do it in order to be like, ha I'm gonna get her. It's just normal human stuff. Like, well, gosh, it sounds like that was really hard for you. Tell me about that. And again, it wasn't um, that she could feel the, you know, the instruments while she was, you know, poorly anesthetized during a C-section. It wasn't any of the things that we think about. That's a, that is even more important to the be able physical to. trauma. Yeah, the physical and mm -hmm. and perhaps the emotional trauma that's pent up from feeling somebody cutting through your layers of, of the layers of your abdominal wall. Mm -hmm. But that again wasn't. This was everything was quote normal. It was a good c-section for all you know for all intents and purposes but when i started asking her about what it was like she just felt like I, I was i was treated as if somebody else was in control of my body and that alone made her feel so unsafe and so unseen as just another person having a baby in this industrial complex that we call big med the hospital complex as we see maternity care as the standard of maternity care in the United States. So just by asking her about that, she was like, I want to have a home birth. And I was like, okay, let's talk about what a home birth would look like. It's like, what things about a home birth are going to look or seem better for you compared to what you experience in the hospital. And then she says, well, I want to be in a place where I feel safe. I want to, I want to be in my own clothes. I want to be in my own room. I want to have, you know, my own kitchen, I want to have my lemonade, my favorite lemonade and everything there. I don't want to have to bring all of that into the hospital. Like, okay, well, that's really easy. What are you, you know, are you going to have a midwife? And we would, so it just kind of go down that path of like, let me get to know you and what your values are. And only then can I come to you with a solution. Again, I don't fix people, but I can offer you some tools that might help you on the path. Again, who are you and what are you doing here? This woman is here to have another baby and she wants to do it in what she sees as the right way. Now, if you have a home birth, of course, there's risks of bleeding. There's risks of all these things. We can generally manage that in the home. Are you also open to going to the hospital? I would be open if you told me, Dr. Riley, that it would be really important for me to get there because I don't want my baby to die. Even if I said I'd, I'd rather die than go to the hospital, like you make me feel good about this. And so we work together through pregnancy. She has a home birth. We don't even Back have to, to trust. But that trust, I mean, so for her when she ultimately did have her home birth it was it was it was closing the circle on this trauma that was inflicted on her for no reason other than the doctor feeling like they're in control of something that clearly they have no control over which is childbirth which is business as usual for them right 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 unfortunately yeah wow and like you said that's a common thing for you to experience with a with a patient yeah you maybe unfortunately like yeah, maybe like once a week. And I actually had another wow. lady out who has a baby that is breech. And as you know, babies that come butt first, generally are we the, the establishment would say just have a C-section. It's not safe. The baby's head gets stuck or whatever. There's plenty of babies that come out breech for you know butt first and have no problems. Um, 
but she was so rattled by it that as we were sh she was sharing what her experience was like in her f in her previous birth this is a different patient she was just she like sobbed on our on our call it was a remote call like this for like 10 minutes and she was like i'm just so grateful that i was able to share that with somebody mm -hmm. so like you said it's not even that the doctors aren't asking people in your life just want to take pictures with the baby and they just want to help you out postpartum by making you meals and that's all so great and, and it's so appreciated. But when a person sits down with a woman who just went through the most challenging experience in their life, which is a, which is a, a verifiable transformation of spirit, you are different when you pass through that portal as a mom mm -hmm. and that baby comes out, you guys have transformed, your partner has transformed. This is a new horizon you've just, you know, you're, you're standing in front of. And for somebody to say, wow, tell me about how that was. The, the act of telling your story is medicine, it's therapy. And if we don't do that, we don't get closure. And then we pent all of that up. And if, you know, through the work of like Mark, Mark Lalin, when body keeps the score, um, Gabor Mate, we know that this trauma gets pent up in there. And we also know that that trauma will impact the physiology of your future births. So this isn't just a luxury to have a quote, holistic OBGYN. This is what we need to be doing for women if we wanna fix the world. Now, Nathan, do all holistic OBGYNs have the same approach as you and go into the questioning and the, the act of listening and giving a safe container? I mean, is that kind of standard practice or is that just more Nathan's way of doing it? I, I don't I don't think any any doctors out there really have the, the time uh, to spend with their patients that's required to do that. I do think that most doctors are not bad people. They don't want to be traumatizing people, but they've been trained and had this model for them for years that they don't even, uh, like we have to do empathy training in residency. That just shows you how far off the mark we are. Here's how you show that you're listening. You sit on mm -hmm. the bed and you nod your head. I mean, it's so silly. Really? So, uh, they actually say yeah. that? Wow. Ridiculous. It's like, here's how you show empathy. You nod your head. You mm. relax your face. Say, hmm, yeah. I mean, it's like, wow. it sounds so silly for people like me and you. But when you understand that that's a part of the training that they feel like, oh man, we need to, to do empathy training so that this doctor softens up a little bit. Bedside manner. The bedside <laughs> manner thing, you either got it or you don't. You can train somebody all day, but if they're yeah. stuck in a checklist of things they have to do to that, that, they're, that the hospital expects them to do, they're not putting the patient first. So I don't, I don't even like the word holistic necessarily. I know what it means and I think you know what it means, but most people are like, I'm a holistic fertility specialist. And they're just mm -hmm. like, and they're still using, they're pumping people full of hormones. They're still just looking at lab work and imaging before they even get to meet the patient. There's some holistic something there. Like if you're teaching people fertility awareness, I suppose that's holistic. It's certainly natural. But when we talk about holist, holism, we're talking about body, spirit, soul. And frankly, I think our world at large, but specifically the medical community is completely devoid of spirituality. And that's actually the biggest problem for sure but at least we're going in that direction. I agree with you. I think the word holistic, although it's becoming more mainstream now, is almost like the word natural. It's just totally nebulous now. And that's why I love that you kind of went into what, what you're defining as holistic in your practice. So for the people watching and listening, and I know we'll get to that at the end of how they can contact you, um, but it's something for them to consider. Just if, if, you're, if you're finding someone who says holistic by their, their title, you know, dig a little deeper as to what exactly that means, you know, and it, is it covering the things that you really know deep down you need covered and want covered because it's not a given yeah. that they're all yeah. the same. 
That's exactly right. Yeah, it, another really good example is endometriosis is like raging now. Like every mm. got really, really painful periods and who mm. knows why, who knows why. But I have a suspicion that this is a chronic inflammation that's rated, related to an autoimmune process. Um, it's really only diagnosable by surgery, like taking biopsies. But then once you've diagnosed it, we don't have anything to offer. Most, about 30% of women will end up back in the operating room after that endometriosis surgery. And yes, you can do things like ultrasound and MRI, but they're not, it's not a guaranteed slam dunk. If you have all the clinical symptoms of a chronic inflammation, then we can start adopting a holistic lifestyle. And, and again, that's body, spirit, soul. It's diet, movement, sleep, hydration, breathwork, mindset. Um, there may be some Tai Chi practices. If you're in Yang excess, which is how most of our society operates, it's all the stuff we were talking about before, we need to nourish the yin. We need to be eating cooling foods. We need to start some cold immersion therapies. Um, we need to start rebalancing our chakras. Like that's stuff that doctors don't do because they don't know how to do it, nor do they maybe find it valuable. And that's cool. We'll let them do their thing in the hospital. Let them do the emergency surgeries and the IV antibiotics and all that. In the meantime, instead of you going to the operating room, let's also help restore your gut health. Let's get your autoimmune processes under control. And that takes time. And that's not something many doctors have the luxury of doing, but, but that's, that's why I stepped out of the system. Cause I wanted to do that. It's like, it's, it's easier to give somebody a birth control pill to shut down their ovaries and put them into sort of a pseudo menopause um, until they're quote, ready to have babies. Um, it's easier to do that or to give something called a GnRH analog, like, uh, like Lupron, which actually stops the brain from producing gonadotropins, which stimulate the ovaries. You effectively are in menopause when you're on GnRH analogs. And uh, those are the treatments for endometriosis, you know? So it's reactive as opposed to proactive and in, uh, investigating the, the, the upstream cause of some of this dysfunction. So um, I feel very, very privileged to be able to do what I do. It's also a lot harder than what my colleagues oftentimes are doing in the uh, conventional. complicated. Yeah, yeah, super. Because one thing that I've learned in a lot of that was from, you know, Paul Check, who we both worked with, is that your body is a system of systems. And in medicine, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're all about specialties, right? So you go, like, as you said, you go to a gastrointestinologist, you go to an endocrinologist if you've got a hormone problem. But the body, I mean, I think it actually was Paul again, who gave the analogy. It's like the body's like a spider web. And if you touch the spider web, what part of the web doesn't move? Right. That's the way the body is, you know? It's like if you take a pill or drink a, drink a drink or eat some food or whatever it may be, have a procedure, what, what cell in your body is not going to be reacting to right. that? It's all of you all the time. And um, let yeah, okay, so let's talk about how common it is for the birth control pill to just be like the blanket go-to fix-all and in, in a lot of times in conventional. It happens to so many girls. I know when I was in college, so many of my friends had heavy periods or whatever. Forget about not wanting to be pregnant. And I was told, don't worry about it. There's no side effects, really. It's only that you don't get your period or it's not going to be as heavy and you, you won't get pregnant. It's great as long as you take the pill. Right. You don't worry about it. And it was my understanding that it, the pill basically tricks your body into never ovulating so you don't get pregnant but telling you that you are pregnant all the time so you're in a perpetual state of almost like pms or bloated tender whatever <laughs> and and then i'd love i definitely want to get in with you about how it actually changes your chemistry with your partner 
yeah. and all that too. So share with us your expertise on, okay, ladies, here's what you need to know about the pill. If your daughter's on it, you're on it, whatever, this is the truth. This is what you need to know to be informally educated. Oh, wow. Well, we yeah. would need like a full, a full day of recording for us oh to boy. really get into the full pill conversation. But the bottom line is what I think people need to know mm-hmm. is that OBGYNs are trained to do three things. Surgery, we do a lot of surgery, and it's not just C-sections. OBGYNs do all of the pelvic surgery, hysterectomy, oophorectomy, cyst removals, whatever. We do wow. all of that. That's 70% of our training. We do also a lot of clinical practice and maternity care, of course. And apart from surgery, we we are very, very good at using pharmaceuticals, and we're very good at using specifically hormonal contraception. So you said the pill, but I'm going to throw in there the NuvaRing, um, which is a... Uh, a similar to the pill, but it goes in the vagina. It's a, like a flexible ring and it releases similar uh, hormones. There's mm-hmm. synthetic estrogens and progesterones that are in all these devices. We have Depo-Provera, which is an injection you get every three months. We have the Nexplanon implant, which goes subdermally under the skin right here, under between the biceps and the triceps. Okay. Um, uh, those two are only synthetic progesterone, but uh, the, the bottom line is that when a woman, a young woman, presents to her family doctor, her primary care doc, whatever, or her, maybe an OBGYN at 14, and they're like, I'm starting to have these periods, but I bled through my pants in school and it's super embarrassing. But I get that. I totally get that. But instead of reassuring and perhaps changing the stigma around menstruation, and teaching a woman, a young woman, about how their body works, meaning the difference between menstruation and ovulation, and how there's a follicular phase, you ovulate, then you have the luteal phase, and if there's no conception, you get a withdrawal bleed because the corpus luteum stops producing progesterone, and that triggers the lining of the uterus to shed, and that you have changes in cervical position and cervical mucus and your basal body temperature. This is called fertility awareness methods. Instead of doing that, We use that seven minutes that I said, it's condensed down to those seven minute visits. And we say, hey, listen, you don't even have to worry about having a period. You're not gonna get pregnant anytime soon or you don't wanna get pregnant anytime soon. Um, I hear that your periods are painful and you're having all this bleeding. Don't worry about it. Let's just give you this pill. And then that, that young woman starts her pill or the patch or the ring or whatever else and is on that until they're in their late 20s. And at this point, they've received 15 years maybe of synthetic hormones. They're made in a lab. These are not bioidentical. They are not, um, these are powerful, powerful, very toxic substances you've been putting into your body for 15 years. You come off the pill at 29 or 30, you're ready to start your family. And now your ovaries, your thyroid, your adrenals, your brain, everything is scrambled because it doesn't know up from down. It hasn't been cycling. You're out of phase with the moon. You've got no connection with who you are and where you're going. And now you come to, to a doctor and they're like, well, gosh, you're having a, I don't know, you're not having regular periods. So why don't we start using some other synthetic hormones to hijack your endocrine system to force your body to carry a pregnancy? So that's the, that's the experience that many, many women are, women are having. By the way, that's called not hormone replacement therapy, but it's similar. It's, it's like the IVF process or IUI intrauterine insemination. So <clears throat> the issue that I have with this procedure is not that anybody, you know, that nobody should do that. You know, if your periods are that heavy and you're severely anemic, maybe a course of birth control would be helpful. It was not intended for 15, 20 years of use. And the bigger issue is that if you're not having a regular predictable bleed, 
it tells me that you're not ovulating, period. That's all that I need to know. And if you're not having regular predictable bleeds, and some people will call this this monthly bleed a fifth vital sign, mm-hmm. and there's something going on upstream, it could be the hypothalamus, it could be the pituitary, it could be the thyroid, it could be the adrenals, it could be the ovaries, or it could be the uterus. We don't know because nobody ever looked. And now you want to get pregnant. Now you do want to get pregnant. And now and you've been taught that if a penis comes anywhere near you, you're going to get pregnant. But now you've been trying for a year or two, and we don't know why you're not getting pregnant. We don't know why, but I would, I would gather, I, would, I can conjecture that by loading you up with 15 years of toxic synthetic hormones has probably not helped. And nobody ever investigated what is going on with your endocrine system. So in my practice, what we have to do is we have to wind back the clock and go all the way back to that very first period. Tell me about how, what, how that was. No woman ever forgets the first period or the first year of this abnormal bleeding. And it's so confronting that you don't want to go to school. It's debilitating pain sometimes. Your body is just trying to figure out how to send enough of the hormones from the brain out into the bloodstream, down to the ovaries in a pulsatile fashion in order for you to have regular 21 to 35 day cycles. And so we have to consider, is the does the liver need a detoxification? Do we need to consider how these birth control pills have impacted your gut health? 70% of your immune system is in your guts. And if that that microbiome within your intestinal tract falls out of, out of uh, alignment, which is a direct impact of birth control, by the way, it damages that, that careful, uh, the, the 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 sort of sequence of of, uh, of of cells lining the the intestinal tract, they become damaged. Stuff gets leaked through. You develop an autoimmune process, and lo and behold, you develop something like endo, uh, endometriosis or hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. You get adrenal insufficiencies due to these autoimmune processes. So this is all the stuff. You get eczema, psoriasis. Your allergies are all out of whack, and it's all because we weren't thinking about the whole system of systems, like you said. And so um, without, without rambling any further, my problem with, with using birth control pills or these other methods as a replacement for investigating the upstream problem, you're just creating more issues for your patients or clients down the road. So instead of us using birth control long-term, maybe short-term, maybe like a month to get your bleeding under control so you're not ending up in the ER with chest palpitations or whatever, but over the long haul, we're doing more harm than good by putting synthetic hormones from an early age when a woman's brain hasn't even completed development. And the downstream consequences are mood disorders, severe depression, anxiety. We're getting skin issues, we're getting acne, we're getting waking, we're getting changes to your libido. Like a 21 year old woman doesn't wanna have sex. Are you kidding me? Like that's not to say that every woman out there should be as horny as everybody else, but to not wanna have sex when you're in college, to have no drive whatsoever and not even to have any like vitality when you wake up like you just feel like hell your hair isn't as curly as it used to be your skin's all you know dry and and you don't even get you can't have an orgasm you've got no lubrication down there like this is what we're doing to young women and so there's no right or wrong answer to this question amy but i think that we at least need to put the brakes on once in a while and consider what are the downstream or upstream consequences of using synthetic hormones in our young women in our society brilliant and uh it's just like really anything else nathan i mean 
there, there's no such thing as something that's introduced in the body that's not naturally occurring in the body and not have it have an effect. You know, but, you know, just to have a responsibility to say these are possible, they're really not side effects, they're direct effects. Yeah. Like this, yeah. you know, this is, and that's kind of just irresponsible. And unfortunately, with a lot of things, especially now in 2022, we all are experiencing things that the true effects are not even discussed and nor are they, um, you know, known a lot of times, unfortunately. But um, there's one other thing about yeah. these and they in, in, a, in a portion of our population they also lead to blood clotting disorders right so thromboses in the legs in the lungs in the brain and uh, these are actually well documented mm -hmm. so for us to say hey it's probably safe is like yeah we're not giving somebody truly informed consent if we're not saying hey we can prevent you from getting pregnant with this thing or we can stop your bleeding and it's going to cause all these other issues and then the patient can make an informed decision and that's not what we're doing we're just saying hey don't worry about that silly, exactly. that silly little thing every month. That the little monster. Just let's just flick it off, and we'll start you yeah. on Yasmin or something like that. And uh, it's it's irresponsible at best. Yes, and informed consent is key. Accurately informed consent. Right. And and furthermore, I, I from what I understand, the pill also because it changes your chemistry, yeah. also results in women changing they the type of men they're attracted to because it alters their immune systems and what i understand from biology a lot of times we're attracted to partners that have different immune systems than we do to help mother nature continue the species because that therefore we become stronger by making a new type of genome if you will so yeah. women on the pill because they're chemically altered they end up being attracted to men that are different than they would be if they weren't on the pill because they're and they're not ovulating and because they're not ovulating their body's not sending off the uh nonverbal cues to their partners and the men's in their lives and they're that the men sometimes aren't as attracted sexually to yeah. the women that they would be because the women aren't giving off those pheromones so it's this whole cascade that no one talks about of what's happening under the radar the chemical level of because and then what happens nathan is women go off the pill after they've married their dream partner and you know have a baby and they're not attracted to each other anymore because now their real chemicals kick in yeah so i can actually speak to this very Yikes. very personally my wife and i met when we were 15 and apart from when i was in medical school we separated because we realized we were emotionally still adolescent in how we were you know engaging as a partnership and but be even before that, my first year of college, Stephanie, uh, uh, around the t actually, around the time while we were in college, she came off the pill after having been on some sort of hormonal contraception. Started with the patch, went to uh, pills, and then ultimately ended up with an IUD at some point in the future. But she um, broke up with me when we were in college, and something about being on that pill changed. But the, the the mechanism behind this that we think is the the major histocompatibility complexes, which are a part of our immune system as we see friend and foe, and so that is directly related, yes, to how we perceive the world around us. And she wasn't. I mean, I, I can't speak for her. I don't think it was a matter of just not being attracted objectively to me, but she would have, for whatever reason, didn't feel that that vibe anymore. And um, and so it is a, a very interesting. Like mm -hmm. when we talk about hormones, we have to remember we are putting things into the body that can enter cells 
almost willy-nilly. They drive the internal, you know, uh, the, the chromosomal blueprint inside the cells to a large degree through various receptors, but also some of them can pass right into cells, turn on some switches and then, and then beat it. And so you're, we're, we're doing all kinds of things to our neurochemistry. And that's probably also why so many women have said, I feel crazy. And I'm using their words. I feel crazy on the pill. I feel irritable. I'm agitated. I can't sleep well. I wake up in the middle of the night sweating. Like they're just don't feel well. They don't feel like they've got it together. And so there was actually a really good film that just came out by uh, Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein. It's called The Business of Birth Control, oh, cool. which everybody out there needs to go and check out. It's a okay. fantastic expose of the history of mm -hmm. birth control. And there's some eugenics histories to it. There's wow. you know, obviously a total disregard for a woman's well-being, not just the isolated variable of preventing pregnancy. There's all these other things that have that have been playing out over the years, and I think you know it's it's worthwhile for everybody out there to consider if you have kids or you are of reproductive age, grab a, a book on fertility awareness methods and really try to understand how the physiology works. If you have any questions, reach out to me. Mm -hmm. But um, this is stuff we should be teaching kids at 14. We shouldn't be putting them on birth control. Right on. All right, now let's just go into the relationship of the going into the hormones a little deeper of the stress hormones and the sex hormones because i'd love for you to educate us on really what we need to know and the fact that they're very much related your level of stress and your libido and how the body prioritizes and adapts and all that so share with us what we need to know about that the relationship between sex hormones and stress hormones yeah, so inside your adrenals, you've got three levels. And as you get deeper, they say it gets sweeter. So you start with salt management. Aldosterone is produced in the outer layer of the adrenals. And adrenals, by the way, are about like size of, I don't know, plums maybe, prunes, yep. sit on top of your, your kidneys. So the adrenal glands produce three major types of hormones. Aldosterone, which is the salt regulating hormones. Then you go to the, to the middle level and you get your, uh, your, your sugar management hormones, including cortisol, which is your get up and go. That's what gets you up in the morning. Light hits your eyeballs. There's a complex process whereby melatonin drops and cortisol rises, which is why they say you reduce your screen time at night because it allows cortisol to drop and melatonin to rise in, in, the, in the inverse at nighttime. And then you go one layer deeper and then you're looking at the production of your sex hormones. And that includes estrone, estradiol, and uh, DHEA, which is, uh, goes through a, a process whereby it becomes DHEAS and then it actually gets converted to testosterone later. And um, the androgens, that's the deepest layer, the, the sex hormones, the androgens are largely converted to estrogen through a process of aromatization by fat tissue, by ovaries, by uh, I think even in the brain and the bone marrow and the liver, there's all this aromatase everywhere. So the reason that these are connected is that when a person is in a state of adrenal fatigue, I'm gonna use that as an example because everybody's in a state of some degree of adrenal fatigue, your body is producing so much cortisol that it steals pregnenolone, which is the precursor to all of these hormones for the overproduction of cortisol, right? Which you need more and more and more of to get it going. It's like one cup of coffee wasn't enough. Let's do two. Now you need three. Now you need to be drinking coffee all day long because you're not resting and recovering in, in the appropriate way. So I've been in adrenal fatigue. I know exactly what this feels like. Me too. Um, <laughs> I think anybody out there who's a, who's a functional coach to other people has gone through adrenal fatigue because we <laughs> all know that this is a big problem. So it's considered somewhat mythical in the medical community, but I know that this is 
there's some truth to this. Pregnenolone is the precursor. It's made from cortisol. It makes all of these hormones that come out of the adrenals. If your body needs to be making more and more and more cortisol, that leaves less pregnenolone to create your sex hormones. So what that means is you're not going to be producing as much of the estrogen and the DHEA, which is the DHEA is part of that androgen class I was talking about. And without DHEA, you're not going to have much vitality as a woman. That's what drives your, your curiosity. It drives you to like go to the gym. It drives you to want to have sex. The, it's, libido is the, is the generic term of that. But there's far more to it than just wanting to have sex. There is, it, it, it goes Life to- Life force. It's, it, your mo it's your mojo. Your mojo. That's exactly right. Yeah, mm -hmm. baby. Mojo. <laughs> One of my favorite words. <laughs> yeah, right. It, mm. it immediately reminds me of Michael Myers from uh, yep. Powers. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're uh -huh. not sleeping. You're eating the wrong foods. You're overly stressed out. You're working three or four jobs. Some people can't get around that. But if you have the resources to think a little bit about this, and you are driving your adrenals to produce almost exclusively cortisol, you're in a state of fight or flight at all times. And that naturally has to come from somewhere. It gets taken from the pathway that would otherwise be producing your androgens. And then that naturally, cortisol also down, you know, has an activity at the ovaries, it has an activity at the thyroid, all of these systems within the big system, as you described, that are communicating. So oftentimes when people have amenorrhea, ab, an abnormally long cycle. Like I don't bleed every month. I bleed every couple months. My first question is, tell me about your energy levels. Tell me about your sleep. What are you doing to care for yourself at home? And oftentimes it's not their fault, but they have too many things going on and they don't have enough help. They've got yeah. kids screaming. They've got babies waking them up in the middle of the night and they're in a state of adrenal fatigue. It's, it's, it's plain and clear in sight if you know mm -hmm. the right questions to ask. And that can be fixed. It's going to be all the stuff that you and I do. It's the mm -hmm. slowing down. It's the nourishing the yin. It's all those things we talked about. It's going to be balancing some second chakra issues, perhaps uh, third chakra issues as well. And um, and then we can actually supplement with pregnenolone. We can use an adaptogenic, bioidentic, uh, bioidentical tonic, like something from Quicksilver Scientific. They have their longevity elite. It actually contains um, pregnenolone. And so that is that precursor. It's re It's replenishing that. But again, we're not mm -hmm. here for quick fixes. You're not deficient in pregnenolone. You've got enough of it. It's just all going down the pathway of I'm being chased at all times. That's the cortisol pathway. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. It's just so important because everybody's over busy, overwhelmed. I mean, it's like, a, I've talked about this many times on the show. It's like a badge of honor, you know, how busy and productive you're being. And it's a big reason why I named the show Awakening Aphrodite because I was excessively masculinized and I had to really tap back into my feminine and, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's no wonder why a lot of people struggle with their mojo and had really that life force, that energy, we're all looking for energy, whether it be Red Bull or coffee or, you know, whatever, you know, we all want more energy. And, and a lot of times, you know, we have to remember that the body wasn't designed to constantly be under stress. The, that that hormonal response is supposed to be intermittent and burned out of the body like you either shake it out or you run it off like when you when you when you're in a you know a life-threatening situation so the body will always prioritize survival over sex That's right and like it or not and i heard someone say nathan once that 
you can live without your sex hormones, but you probably won't want to. <laughs> because, <laughs> right? Isn't that yeah. good? Because life is a lot more enjoyable. Like you said, your DHA, when you feel sexual and sensual, that's, that's that oomph that yeah. you feel from someone when they have that vitality to them and that spark in their eye. And it's more than, than just their physical body look or shape. That yeah. That's the juice, you know? And so the bottom line of all this is that we have to get a handle on our life, our workload, our thoughts, you know, look holistically so we can really help balance the body, enough yin and yang, enough masculine, feminine, and so our body works the way it's supposed to, which is producing both the sexual hormones and the stress hormones. And not to mention when you have too much cortisol, you also have the dreaded spare tire, right? Right. That's the belly fat that won't go away. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, so so cortisol, remember I mentioned it's, it's the primary role is not just flight or flight. The reason you need cortisol when you're being chased is you need to be able to tap into all of your glycogen and sugar reserves, including some fatty acids, and you need to get as much energy into the bloodstream as possible. Well, if you're constantly telling the body, I need to be uh, 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 regulating, yeah, I, I, I need to have some fuel source available, mm -hmm. you don't end up in a pattern whereby you're necessarily burning fat all the time. Your body becomes desperate to hold on to some of those stores. And when you're in a, in a place of like, man, I'm really stressed out. And this can actually happen through, through severe fasting techniques. Like if you're only, yes. if you're going through, you know, um, you're in ketosis all the time, um, you will initially lose weight. But the problem is, is that it, 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 it um, takes you out of regulation as to how and when you should be storing food. So uh, for somebody who's never eating anything, your body's gonna be utilizing resources at some point. But then when you go back to eating, your body's like, oh my God, we haven't eaten for a week. We may never eat again. And it starts to, to consume and Store. to go into, into excess. Yeah, mm -hmm. so everything is a balance. It's, there's no right, there's no um, binary here. It's not like fasting is good or fasting is bad. It's how are you fasting? Why are you fasting? And are you taking care of what you're eating? How you're moving? how you're sleeping and everything else uh, along the way so that your body can utilize sugar and tap into fatty acids when it needs them. And when it's not needing them, it knows where to put them. And that's where it, that's, that's why you're, you know, when people are in hypercortisolemia, meaning they've got excess of cortisol, they end up with like all kinds of fat everywhere. Like it's, it, it grows in, in strange places. And the same actually happens with hypocortisolemia. So there's, there's different names for these different, uh, different processes, but over time, too much or too little of any hormone is going to lead to some dysfunction and, um, and you know it when you see it. So, well, visualize someone that's been taking steroids for an injury or something, right? They blow up. I mean, that's what cortisol does. So, and to your point about how, um, what happens too for women when, you know, if you're leave, if you're living a stress heavy, you know, demanding life that's exciting and, you know, overwhelming and you got lots of things going on in the air and juggling lots of balls in the air and it's all great, but you're setting the foundation for what's going to happen when you get in your fifties and sixties and what happens when you go menopausal, because what happens is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, of course, that the adrenals are supposed to kick in after the ovaries stop producing the hormones. And if the adrenals are depleted from a life that's too demanding, 
and not enough balance, your adrenals don't have any capacity left and you're gonna get what's known as the dreaded menopausal symptoms that don't have to happen or at least not as badly. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 in a nutshell, yeah, that's right. It's it's a super complicated process. We probably won't have time to dive deep into mm -hmm. menopause, but it's again, yeah. it's 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 a it's a it's a a hormonal issue. And you know, the other thing I will add about menopause is that we are so determined to not get old and have to die. And for women, we've put the pressure on you guys to have, you know, perfect boobs, perfect butt, and a flat stomach for your entire life. Not Forever. to have perfect skin, filled lips, and everything else. So that is a part of our conversation. I know we don't have time to slip down, mm -hmm. but when we reach menopause, we have given women the impression that you still have to maintain all of those things. And your hormones naturally are going to be going in a direction where there's different priorities now of your system, namely that you're going to be caring for kids and then grandkids, many women, not all women. And we need to reserve your energy so that you can live longer at the expense of reproduction. So there's a reason that the ovaries actually start to slow down because we need to preserve as much of that energy to keep your heart, brain, and adrenals going. Um, but again, if your adrenals are out of whack, then you end up falling flat on your face when you reach menopause. And that's why I like to get people early on in their reproductive years and stay their doctor all the way through. So important. Well, I would love for you to come back on the show to get deeper into menopause because it's a major issue. And, um, you know, it's the second half of life that, that instead of creating life, you create things in the world. And to your point that, you know, you're now the wisdom keeper that you need to be around to pass along the wisdom to the to the future generations. I mean, it's a very, very important time of life that's not well respected like it had been in uh, indigenous cultures. So I'd yeah. love to have you back on the show to talk about we, that. We should Nathan. totally dive into that. Archetypally, we I would love value it. the maiden. And then as soon as people become mothers, now they're sort of like, you know, whatever stupid words we Asexual. use. Asexual. Yeah, like they're not going to mm -hmm. have sexual beings. Well, actually, it gets richer. The maidens are clueless. The mothers... They get sex. The crone, that is your highest sexual uh, potential. Right on. I'm so glad you said that. Research shows that sex is better in your 60s and 70s. Yeah. Yeah. How about That's that? That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> you got to come back on the show. Nathan, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Um, please tell people how they can find you and what you'd like people to know about working with you and how they can find someone like you, too. Yeah, so I've got three ways that people can find me. Well, first off, I'm on Instagram at Nathan Riley OBGYN. I'm posting a lot of fun stuff there. That's a new venture for me. I never had Instagram before, but it has been really nice to connect with people, including you. Yes. Um, in that way, I have a podcast. It's called the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. We have very similar conversations to this, only I'm trying to learn from other people and not necessarily sharing my knowledge in those interviews, but I do some solo casts where I'm going to be digging into what does a holistic OBGYN practice really look like. Um, and then I've got a practice myself. It's called Beloved Holistics. You can go to belovedholistics.com and find that. Um, the podcast is available anywhere you find podcasts. Just search the Holistic OBGYN. Um, and uh, I work one-on-one -on -one with clients. I have packages available. I actually send people who buy packages a copy of Paul's book because it's like, listen, you can do this part on your own. Come How to back eat, move? Question, how to eat, move, and be healthy, uh -huh. yeah. Um, so that's and online, right? They can work with you online. Yeah, it's all remote. I do have uh -huh. some people local that are coming and actually working out with me yeah, cool. <laughs> so want to know what I do to, to, to stay fit and to keep their themselves as healthy as possible in pregnancy. And then for health coaches, midwives, birth educators, other types of doctors, chiropractors, you name it, 
I have a collaborator program. So people pay a monthly fee and I'm their MD consultant for anything under the sun. If I don't know the answer, I'll find it out for you. That's, that's what I say. And so that can also be found at belovedholistics.com. That's tremendous. Wow. So many amazing, important offerings. Those will all be in the show notes, everybody. And I will add, I subscribe to Nathan's podcast. It's fantastic. You are amazing. And you know, you are truly, I think what a doctor should be. I mean, how can we ask for better? Not only are you super smart and well researched and educated, but your, your heart and your spirit comes through so much. You, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's really like your, uh, it's like your secret weapon because it's one thing to be a smart knowledgeable doctor and you know responsible and all that it's another thing to be able to connect on so many levels and that i can feel you do and you're not even my doctor so maybe yeah. you should be <laughs> I, I appreciate that so much and and uh you know it's what 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 i say is you can steal the recipe but you'll never get the sauce you know <laughs> the there you sauce. go right and, on i love that and I also want to honor you, Amy, and anybody who's listening to this, that if somebody's listening to these types of interviews, this is where we're headed in medicine. We, we need more connection. We need more outside of the box thinking. And anybody out there who's listening, you are actually the one that is most important. I'm just one person. If you're out there hearing this and you're moved by this, then go and find somebody that does this type of work and really start to think about how your health might be impacted by some of these small things that that you and I have talked about, Amy, and, and also just to, to toot your horn, um, Amy, thank you for doing the work you do in the world. We, we need more people like you who are, um, who are you know, pushing the edge a little bit. And, uh, and that's where it's at for me. So I'm, I'm grateful to be in your tribe. Oh, it's an honor, Nathan. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it, everybody. Check out Nathan's website. Again, that'll be on the show notes. Check out his podcast, work with him privately. Um, and just let's let's do this thing let's get empowered fit and healthy and move forward in the world so dr nathan riley thank you so much for being on the show it's my pleasure thanks again amy would you like to support my mission to help empower people all over the world to be all of who they truly are if so please subscribe to the show leave a review on itunes and share it with a friend and if you're looking to take immediate action to align your energy and optimize your health, visit amyfournier.com. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite. Let's awaken her together in you. I'm your hostess, Amy Fournier, and I already can't wait to be with you again and for you to hear what I have planned for the next show. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. To learn more about Amy, check out her website, amyfournier.com. That's A-M-Y-F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R.com. You can also check out Amy's live and on-demand virtual fitness and yoga classes and sign up for her newsletter to receive a free mini ebook of three of her top tips for making holistic health a lifestyle. Again, that's amyfournier.com and get your ebook sent to your email immediately. Connect with Amy on the daily on Instagram at FitAmyTV, F-I-T-A-M-Y-T-V, and watch many of the podcast episodes and subtopic clips on her YouTube channel, which is also FitAmyTV. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time on Awakening Aphrodite.